Good morning. Um, if we've not met, my name is Travis. I'm a deacon here at Church of the Lamb, and if you are visiting, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I hope that I get to meet you after the service today. Uh, we're going to focus on the gospel pack, uh, passage today. There's sort of too much in all three of those uh, readings from earlier to get to. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Luke 10, to the end of Luke chapter 10. This passage is familiar to a lot of us, and depending on your personality, it is either very straightforward or somewhat confusing. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. We have two sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, Jesus has come to their house to teach, so he's sitting in a common area teaching. Mary sits at his feet, sort of soaking it all up. And Martha is very busy trying to get the house together, trying to put on a good party. Uh, Martha gets frustrated with her sister, as Kevin said earlier, goes to Jesus to get some reinforcement, and is very surprised about what happens next. As I said a moment ago, your personal disposition has an impact on how you read and interpret this story. Some of you are thinking, obviously, you have Jesus sitting in your living room, you drop everything and be in that moment, and that is a fantastic instinct. At the same time, some of you hear that story and you're sitting in your seat right now, anxious about where your really good napkins are in case Jesus shows up later today. You know who you are. I'm not going to look at you and shame you, but you know who you are. Martha's not being punished here for being a hard worker. Work is a good thing. Work existed before the fall. Humans have always been called to work in order to participate in God's good creation. We can't exercise dominion without work. For context, the two passages in Luke leading up to this point are both about work or action the calling of the 72, and the Good Samaritan. Also, the point here is not that Martha is a bad person. Martha and Mary are two sisters. They have a brother who you may have heard of. His name is Lazarus. There's a really interesting story in John about Lazarus where Martha says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Martha is a true believer in Jesus. This is not a story about a good sister and a bad sister. It's a story to help us be aware of how and why we work so that we can better spend our time and effort. In order to do that, I'm going to try to articulate it with three questions. What are you busy with? Who are you working for? And where does your strength come from? If you are a note-taking kind of person, I can't make it any easier on you. Three questions. So we'll jump right into the first one. What are you busy with? Earlier I said that work is a good thing. I did not say that being busy is a good thing. Those can be two different things. We can be very busy without engaging anything of real value or substance. We can be busy with busy work. Sometimes it's unavoidable. This past work week started with me adding to my list of things to do without checking a single thing off for three days, Monday through Wednesday. I was either adding to that list or putting out small fires, keeping up with emails, approving prices, attending conference calls. Very exciting life I was leading this week. At the end of the day Wednesday, I was completely exhausted. I had a full page of tasks that needed to be completed, including writing a sermon that you're listening to now. But I didn't feel like I'd accomplished anything. Been very busy, hadn't done a thing. 
Sometimes this is unavoidable. These small tasks have to be done and you just have to do your best to knock them out. But in other times, there are more meaningful things to do and we just don't engage with those things. This can happen for a lot of reasons, lack of interest or energy, just a want for meaningless distraction. Eh, I'll check Instagram and then I'll get to work. Hour later, all you've done is lost an hour. For Martha, she had some choices about how to spend this time. She had Jesus teaching in her living room, but instead of focusing on him, she decided to play Martha Stewart. You can imagine her scrambling around the house trying to find that cute little knife that you use with the fancy cheese. She's asking Lazarus if he and his buddies drank the good wine last night all over the place, and we can all identify with that. We've all been in that spot and in that moment and fulfilling that role. We would want to put on a good party for Jesus. There's no doubt about that. The trouble is, Jesus is the thing that matters about this party, and he doesn't care about that cheese knife. (laughs) He wants to sit and have a quiet conversation and speak into the hearts and lives of his chosen people to draw them to himself, to teach them, to heal them, to love them. And at least in this moment, Martha missed the point. There was very good work to be done, but that work looked like sitting on the floor and listening, and she just missed it. It takes a lot of discipline to intentionally evaluate the way that we spend our time. It's sometimes easy and obvious to just keep playing whack-a-mole with tasks as they appear on your screen, mindlessly checking boxes. But that may sometimes come at a cost. Perhaps there's more important work that we're missing. That could be time in prayer and reflection, time studying the Bible, checking in on a friend who's struggling, or being present to your spouse and kids. The first lesson in this story is that we must be attentive to the way we busy ourselves. It takes intentional effort, and obvious tasks may not be the most important. Our second question is, who are you working for? This seems clear, but can actually be very difficult to discern. Martha is legitimately working hard, trying to play the good hostess, trying to serve Jesus, at least on the surface. But notice her question for Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I've heard a saying that there's an easy way to discern worship music. Is the point Jesus or is it me? If the music is a lot of me, 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 I, 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 it might be a good song, but it might not be good worship. Here, Martha's question fails that sniff test because her question is about her. My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. So outwardly, Martha is trying to serve her guests and trying to serve Jesus Man, I hope you're turning that at me. God bless you. CJ, I love you, brother. (laughs) I don't know what it's like up down there, but it's warm up here. Her question reveals her motivation. What she really means is, aren't I doing a good job? Aren't I impressive? Have you ever seen such nice plates? She's fishing for accolades for herself while tearing her sister down in the process. And we've all done it. 
for a variety of reasons, we try to build ourselves up and often pull someone else down at the same time. We live in a culture that places high value on individual performance. I work in a large corporate environment. I watch this play out every day. Folks are constantly striving for their individual promotion or praise while willingly casting doubt or blame on coworkers and friends. And often they don't even realize they're doing it. It's just the way they compete. It's the way they've always competed. It comes so naturally they don't even realize how they're playing the game. For others, we're trying to compensate for a lack of confidence and just begging for some attention. It's not really pride, it's a lack thereof. The common theme, though, is if we're actively seeking praise for ourselves, we're probably working for ourselves in that moment. And to the extent that I'm thinking of and serving myself in my work, I spoil that work. If you're working only for yourself, even if you receive that praise and promotion, you won't be truly fulfilled because you were made for something so much bigger. You were created in the image of God to participate in his creation and carry forward Christ's mission. If you're doing something less than that solely for your gain, your work will be unsatisfying drudgery. You want to stop there (laughs) on that that, uh, pleasant topic? Only by working for him can we find true satisfaction. He must increase and we must decrease. You will never create anything outside of Christ that will yield eternal glory. It is only through him and in him that you can meet your potential. Even the best works require divine blessing in order to flourish, and that means we have to work for him. Working for Christ is not all about self-denial and humility. Those are great places to start. Working for Christ also means that your success or failure is not the end all. CJ hit on this last week. We're all stepping into a world where God is already working. He may give us a cool part to play, and it may be important work, but you can be bold in your role knowing that the decision is already made, the victor's already been decided, and you're on the right team. Work hard because it's not all on you. You can pour yourself into it. Working in and for Christ also means that you ultimately belong. The story in Luke isn't entirely about Martha's Bible. It's also about Mary's intuition to sit and soak up every word from Jesus and about her courage to do that. You see, in that culture, Mary didn't even belong in that room. Men and women lived segregated lives at that time and in that place. So the women would have been isolated. They would have been preparing the meal. The men would have been in that common room listening to Jesus. And sitting at someone's feet is the posture of a male student learning from a rabbi. So for the people that were in that room, the thing about Martha was secondary. The primary thing is what in the world is that woman doing there? But Mary walked into that room and sat at his feet and Jesus is rewriting all the rules and he says she belongs. This won't be taken from her. Mary recognized the good work to be done and had the bravery to do it. And regardless of what anyone thinks, Jesus says she belongs. And if Jesus says you belong, that's all there is to it. If that's who you're working for and he says you belong there, then you're where you need to be. Our last question 
is where does your strength come from? The second question gave us some hints about this last one. If seeking to serve yourself ultimately falls short, we might intuit that attempting to run on our own fuel will only take us so far. Our American culture loves a story about people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. That was originally meant as a sarcastic comment. It is physically impossible to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So I would take us back to the original interpretation. You have to be pulling on something outside yourself or something from outside you has to be pulling you up. That's how you get off the ground. Time and again, Christ demonstrates his reliance on the Father to model our relationship with him. Our strength diminishes to the extent that we forget our dependence on Christ. So time spent at the feet of Jesus is our springboard to whatever other work might await. This time with Jesus fills our cup that we might fill others, and the water that he offers cannot be obtained another way. When we receive that incredible grace, we also gain generosity of spirit that glorifies and pleases God. We are so blessed and so grateful that our efforts truly point to him and gladly so. The time spent at the feet of Jesus is indeed work, but it's work that changes the heart. This work changes the way that we answer the first two questions. When Christ changes our heart and turns us to himself, we'll know what work we were made for and move further in his direction. We'll know who our boss is. We'll know where we belong. The work of the heart in growing closer to God has to be continuous, though. We never reach self-sufficiency. It's a myth. As I just mentioned, if we forget our dependence, our strength will suffer the second song this morning mentioned that. If, uh, if Christ doesn't raise the house, the workers labor in vain, right? If we forget our dependence, our strength will suffer. If you become so busy and distracted that you sacrifice prayer, devotion, Christian fellowship, or the church, you might as well pull the stones from the foundation of your house and put them on the front porch for decoration. The work will not prosper. So those are our three questions. You got all the secrets now. It should be smooth sailing from here. The first one is, what are you busy at? Can you just be intentional about how you're spending your time? Pay attention to what it is that soaks up your minutes and hours. Are you doing something that's for your good, for the good of your family? Are you doing something that brings glory to God? Are you, are you producing fruit? It's so easy over time just sort of one little habit at a time to just be wasting ourselves and wasting our lives. So the first one is to be intentional about how you spend your time. The second one is, how you, is who do you work for? That's where I ended up spending most of the time because it's sort of central to the whole conversation and to the other two topics. It's so easy in our culture to serve ourselves. If you want a genuine life, if you want to live your authentic self, is a very popular topic these days, this passage tells us where you belong and where you find that. You find yourself at the feet of Jesus, you will belong there. That's where you belong, that's who you were meant to be, that's how you flourish. The last one is where do you get your strength? 
is like physical exercise to me, right? If you ignore your physical health for long enough, it will get you. Moreover, if you ignore your spiritual life long enough, there is an enemy who is looking to get you. It is not just passive. So that time that we spend at the feet of Jesus has to be our platform and foundation for everything else that we do. No work that you do will ever make up for lacking there. That's all great. Those are just my thoughts. Luke wanted to make sure that we got the point here. I mentioned some contextual hints earlier. He gives us another contextual hint here at the end. If you have your Bibles, look at the end of Luke chapter 10. So in case somehow we missed the point with Mary and Martha, he points us in a very specific direction. What's next in Luke? Luke 11. The Lord's Prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke pointed us in that direction, so let's take his hint and we'll finish that way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.